The late Henry Ziegler Steinway grew up with a brand name long before people like Paris Hilton or the Kardashians talked about branding themselves. As the great-great-grandson of the founder of Steinway & Sons Pianos, Henry was surrounded by creative people and inspiring music throughout his life and had a unique perspective on what it takes to be the best. Today we revisit my 2006 conversation with Henry Steinway. I'm Judy Carmichael and this is Jazz Inspired. I've talked to a number of people who are the children of very famous people right. and the issues that they go through because everywhere they go, people are always comparing them to that. Now, your name yeah. is a brand yes. before people were trying to brand themselves. That's right. Yeah. So your entire life, you can't yeah. escape this. Right. And is there ever a time when people don't <laughs> say this to you? When you were growing up, for instance. Well, Julie, to tell you the truth, I was raised in, the, I have a Yankee mother, and uh, I'm one of six children. And we were raised in a very traditional way, in a house on the east side of New York, went to private schools, that kind of thing. So that was just an ordinary, what would now be considered very plush life, but in those days wasn't really that, in a brownstone with a couple of servants and all that sort of thing. So that uh, that was our upbringing, and we know Steinway was important, and then as we got to 12 and 13, we were taken to concerts of various kinds. Uh, I remember <laughs> my father was an opera fan, as was all his generation, and uh, so they thought we should be exposed to the ring. And I remember sleeping through the ring at the old Met <laughs> with those legendary uh, guys, Flagstad and uh, the big fat Helden Tunnel, I forgot his name, Melchior, and that sort of stuff. So we were taken to concerts ever since then, and I've gone to many concerts in my life, but I am not truly a musician or a real uh, musical understanding. Well, did your folks want you to take piano lessons? Is oh, that something yes. every Steinway oh, has yes, to do? yes, took piano lessons, and they just didn't take very much with me. I never could really get the hand-eye coordination. And I took lessons when I was young, and then went away to boarding school in the traditional way. Then when I joined the business, I took some lessons again and could never really uh, handle it. So I have the highest respect for anybody who plays medium well, let alone like you play. <laughs> <laughs> but you did take the lessons, and I think it's... I tell people this now, and I'd love your opinion on this, because you did grow up in a different time, that I still think it's important to expose your children to something like that, even if they're not going to make no a living question. at it. No question. that it's, I think there are wonderful things. This recent announcement of what they're doing at uh, Juilliard and Carnegie, I think is a great idea to take musicians and stick them in public schools somewhere so that there somewhere are children who don't have a chance who could probably really take to music and uh, that find those talents and let them develop. And we all know music is good for you. And uh, playing piano, is I, I see enough people who, it's, it's my own father, during the Depression, this is what relaxed him. He would come home after firing people and shutting factories and doing all kinds of depressing things, and he would uh, sit in the piano, and what he liked, believe it or not, were the 
uh, transcripts of the Wagner operas. The piano, he'd play them on the piano, and he'd sort of sing them. Now Wotan comes in, this and that is happening, and he knew the whole thing. And that was, I could see it decompressed him. Mm. And obviously, it uh, it is a thing that people should do. And the more people who get enthusiastic about piano instruction, the better it is. I love you saying that because you're bringing back memories of how much I enjoyed my mom playing yeah. and going to sleep to her playing oh, or her just great. sitting down and playing. Yeah. And I wouldn't think about it. I took it for granted. Yeah, and sure. then when I'd come back yeah. to visit once I'd left home yeah. and she'd sit and play. And I wouldn't say go play, but yeah. she'd just play. And there would yeah. be my mom playing yeah. in the background. And I realized that had that great feeling for me. And it right. it is something that just slows you down in a way and Absolutely. focuses. And the, there certainly is all this research these days about it being good for you and good for children that uh, just how much they don't know what this so-called Mozart effect that, uh, uh, but I think the playing of music, the teaching and the trying to perform is what's good for them, not just listening to Mozart. You got to try and do it. That's why I think school music is a tremendously important thing, and there are these organizations that support that, and I think it's great. I like the thought of doing it just for yourself rather than doing it to be a professional musician. Right. Because I think a lot of kids get discouraged now, and in sports too. It's just, unless I'm going to be an NBA champion, I'm going to stop doing this and pursue something else because their career is sort of thought about when they're in first grade. <laughs> it's true, terrible. But we, we see in our store at Steinway Hall some wonderful piano playing by individuals who uh, just music is meaningful for them. And strangely enough, many of them don't want to play for anybody else. Mm. That's why we have a lot of rooms when they pick out a piano, they bring some music in and shut the door and the salesman goes away. And they will play the pianos themselves and pick out the one that they want that suits them, which is too bad because I think it derives from the old music. One-on-one teachers, the door was locked, little boy learned piano or little girl, and, and so they didn't want to play for anybody else. I brought a number of people here who want to buy a piano. Yes. And they always, I say, oh, sure, I'll help you. They're friends of mine and I'll play. Good. But I always tell them to bring their music because they assume... right that I'm going to play, they'll listen, yeah. and I'll tell them what to buy. I go, no, it's your piano. Yeah, it's, you've got the right idea. They really have to find the one that suits them. Because each one again. sounds different. And talk about that, because I'm a Steinway fan, and in the yeah. interest of full disclosure, I am a Steinway artist, but I tell people, too, because a lot of people don't know this, that this is not like a normal endorsement in that you are paid by Nike to wear Nike tennis shoes and things like that. I always tell people Steinway knows they're the best piano. And to be a Steinway artist, you have to already own a Steinway. And then you were chosen to be on the list, and it's an honorific and something I was quite thrilled when that happened to me. I think it's wonderful. It's a a sort of a mutual admiration society, really, that... uh, uh, you are the people who really evoke the sounds from the piano that people want to hear, and we make it, and uh, so there's a natural thing there. We work to work together, so we have, as you know, this elaborate uh, concert department function where every Steinway rep has a, 
a concert grand. Uh, Judy Carmichael come in, say, I like this one, I like that one, send it to my performance, and that's a service which we provide. Which is fantastic because you know which pianos. I love coming here and having yeah. Gordon downstairs saying, well, right. we know that Judy likes this piano. Let's put that out there. And right. talk about that because each piano is very different. The sound is, that's something we know we, that in people. something we hate to admit uh, <laughs> <laughs> because we like to think everyone, we try to make them as alike as possible. But there is no question that in... In the hand fitting that has to, we're not against machines. In our factory, we have machines to cut lumber and any stupid handling that can be done is done by machines. But ultimately, the fitting of the key and the action to each other and the hammer has to be done by hand by a skilled technician whose job it is. And the results are different. There's no question. And that's why in our store at Steinway Hall, we have room after room full of the same kinds of pianos so that people can go and pick, because the one that A picks is not necessarily the one that suits B. It's that mystery of tone and touch, which is, does it feel good or does it sound good? Very hard, I think, even for you to tell it why is. you like piano A over piano B. But it, it's, uh, it's endlessly fascinating because what you're really doing, according to the physicists, is throwing a hammer against a string by downing a key. But that's not so. I mean, <laughs> some mystery takes place. A piano sounds different when you play it, and somebody else would come along and play the same piano, and it'll sound different because there's a unique Judy Carmichael sound, and uh, it's one of those strange things. And uh, lots of mysteries. That's why, really, there's nothing like live performance. Uh, it, it sounds different than anything electronic. Keith Jarrett recorded live on a Steinway concert grand at Carnegie Hall in New York City. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm talking with Henry Z. Steinway, great-great-grandson of the founder of Steinway & Sons Pianos, about the thrill of hearing a great piano soloist in person. How about Duke Ellington? Did you ever get to hear him in person? I, I asked because I'm so excited about this. Yes, yes, I certainly did. It was very. It was some club over on Broadway, I think, that uh, where he used to perform, and remarkable, remarkable fellow. I didn't see any. He did some shows, I know, but I didn't see them. Mm -hmm. But he certainly is a unique and wonderful person in the whole history of uh, pianism. Mm. 
ask you something because people, you may not be able to answer this, but people seem surprised to me a lot when I talk about Steinway pianos and how much I love them. And they'll say, but you're a jazz pianist. Yeah. As if it doesn't matter to me. Yeah. And it matters just as much to a jazz pianist, Absolutely. I know. Absolutely. But why is there that perception, do you think, that, that classical pianists want to play on a Steinway? I'm but afraid it's, it's probably because of our years of advertising uh, Horowitz, Rachmaninoff, Joseph mm. Hoffman, and so somehow this impression has come in that only the greats uh, play the Steinway when actually... And part of it has to do, as you know, that uh, we can furnish a piano at Carnegie Hall for anybody for a performance, but most jazz players have to play whatever is in the place mm. that they've got the date. Mm -hmm. So it's been very hard to have those uh, relationships. But of course, we have good friends in, in that business, and we try and encourage it now. And I think we've got Steinways in most of the uh, places in New York mm -hmm. that is, play serious jazz now. And we know that most of the uh, pianists in popular music do like Steinway pianos. Mm -hmm. Well, Diana Krall plays Steinway yeah. and Keith Jarrett. I'm thinking of well-known jazz you're people. You know, with PBS, there was an old PBS film that showed some of those old jazz players, Monk and some of them. And time after time, it would be a beat-up old Steinway they were playing. <laughs> and that they found somewhere or had themselves, or mm -hmm. I don't know. So it's something we're very proud of, that anybody who plays serious music prefers the Steinway piano. I mean plays music seriously. I don't mean in the sense of no, I classical know. music. When you were a young boy, did you think you wanted to work for Steinway, since Steinway was everywhere uh, in the family? I really uh, didn't. We were six children, as I say, raised in the East Side house, um, I went to Harvard. That was, uh, in those days, if your father could pay the bills, you went to Harvard. You didn't have to be any big brain. And when I got out after studying um, history and literature and that sort of stuff, it was 1937 when there was a mini depression. So I asked my father, I said, well, would you, can I try the piano business? He said, sure, go on over. You have to work in the factory. And so I started there in September 1937, and the idea was you, you tried different work, you went around, and I learned a lifetime of respect for the skills that go into a piano, because they let me try to do it, and I found out how hard it was. <laughs> there were so many things I couldn't do, uh... even tuning. I couldn't hear the beats or anything, but it was very, a lot of fun for two or three years to uh, get an education in the Steinway factory. And so that's how I started in the business, and then here I am, 91 years old, and retired since 1980, And uh, but that's that's my life story. <laughs> but you've not really been retired. You've been here, you're I, here I'm, practically I, every day. Yes, by retired, I mean I have no connection with the business itself. The, the business has been sold and is now a public company with uh, some very distinguished guys you know who are the control stockholders and they seem to be doing a great job and putting money in the plant and uh, it's been very successful so it's a delight so they let me use this room in which we are talking here at Steinway Hall and uh, but I have nothing to do with the company other than ceremonial things mm -hmm. from time to time and uh, 
uh, when they have a real nut letter or something old, they, they send it over to me and I get into that. <laughs> like a, uh, there was a guy who said, I'm, I, I was in a submarine during the war and there was a Steinway piano in it. What do you know about it? And this letter hung around over there in our story and finally they sent it to me and I said, yeah, I remember that. In 19-something or rather, one of the first atomic submarines up in Groton, they wanted... Uh, they asked the crew what they wanted, said we'd like a piano. So uh, we sent them or sold them one of our smallest uprights, our 40-inch uprights at that time, which they put in this thing. And this guy who had uh, been a commander of this submarine says, I'm going to find that piano. I said, good for you, let's find it. And he had a hell of a time because this submarine was decommissioned and then he had to chase through everything. And eventually the piano turned up in... Uh, uh, Portland, Maine, where it was decommissioned, and uh, good friends, the Murphys at M. Stein, that uh, went up there to look at it, and there it was. Just that they had butchered it somewhat, taking it out of the submarine, but we took it back in the factory and fixed it up, and we displayed it and so forth. That uh, was it was the kind of thing that pianos are used for that aren't uh, uh, your kind of work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the early days, I played some pianos like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's funny. But That's it's, wonderful. But though. it's flattering to think that the the crew of the sub was asked what because this was the first one would stay underwater for maybe weeks at a time. Yeah, and uh, they said we want a piano, and so there was guys who could play the piano, and they took some pictures of these guys that uh, somebody has now. That's so wonderful because you think yeah. of what we were talking about about. Mm-hmm relaxing you yes. and entertaining yourself. And how and piano is a part of, uh, or music is everybody's life, and piano is one of the roots.
Bill Evans from his recording piano player. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. For a discography of the music played on our show and a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com. To find out more about my music and what I'm doing, and to sign up for our email newsletter, visit judycarmichael.com. I'm talking with Henry Ziegler Steinway, great-great-grandson of the founder of Steinway & Sons Pianos. The factory is a fascinating place, too. I went there with a friend who was buying a Steinway years ago when I first became smitten with Steinway, and I didn't grow up with a Steinway, and I didn't know that there was a huge difference. And he said, come help me pick out a piano. And he was actually fortunate enough to be buying a concert grand. Wow. So we went there and played all of them together. And... It's a really wonderful place, if you can describe it just a bit, because it's a place that people can actually take a tour yes, as well. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it's about uh, it's a very large factory because pianos take up a lot of room. For New York, it's a large factory. There are very few factories left in New York. When we started 150 years ago, New York was a manufacturing town. But now we're left in the Astoria section out there in Long Island City, and there are about 400 to 450 people who actually work with their hands. And they are an interesting crowd because New York is an entry port these days. So I'm told there are 17 languages going around. Most of them have to be trained. We do a lot of, uh, oh, my brother-in-law just arrived from Ecuador. Will you give him a job? Yes, they'll give him a job and try him out. And if he works out, okay. So... It's a unique factory. They are represented by one union, the whole gang, whether they're electricians or carpenters or whatever. They all belong to this one union. So that's sort of uh, a cohesive unit, too. And uh, I think right now they're negotiating a new contract for the year that applies to everybody. It's one of the good things. How many people work at the factory? Well, I think, I don't know the exact count, somewhere between 400 and 450. So it's a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of people. It takes a lot of people when you 
We use machinery, as I said, wherever possible to do work. But, I mean, there's lumber. We have to store the lumber for a couple of years. We dry kiln it. Then it gets saws and cut up. And the whole process from the moment an order is entered to the factory, it takes roughly a year before the piano comes out the other end. Mm. Now, it's not being worked on all that time. It gets seven or eight what you might call tuning, starting from the first time when they stretch the strings, and then they just pick at them with a stick to pull them roughly up to pitch. So that has to sit for a couple of weeks before somebody does something else. And Talk about the rim, because I know that's something that Steinway developed. Yes, that was a, a development of the Theodore Steinway, one of the original sons, who was the basic engineer and designer of the modern piano. And if I may say so, every piano looks like a Steinway. All the patents have long run out, and they can use what they want to. And part of it is this continuous bent rim made out of thin sheets of maple that are strung together, and it's quite a sight there, as you have seen it. It's get bent around a long press and squeezed, and then it has to dry. And uh, then after that, we leave it in a, in a warm room for a while before it's worked on, and they last forever as far as we know, because the first ones are still around. That's what's amazing, is that the pianos do last. And when you have a Steinway, you buy a new Steinway, how long in general, and I know this is a hard question, before that piano would have to be completely rebuilt? Well, it depends entirely on use, really. Uh, And uh, people with a good ear like you, I'm sure, have to have it tuned very frequently. Other people will not tune it for a long time, and they get used to a piano that's slightly out of tune, and they still play very well. And uh, it all depends on how much they do. It would be better to have a good regulator, and you know the difference between a regulator and a tuner, somebody who knows the machinery of the piano, to look at it every two years, three Mm -hmm. years, something like that, depending on how much use it gets. And many serious people do that. Uh, Well, three years, five years, something like that. Have a come and pull out the action, look at the hammers, file them off again, and give it a good regulating. Mm -hmm. I tell people that, that they should do it, that it isn't about being a professional again, that it's something that you just keep up. Yeah. Yeah, that it, it's right. maintenance for the piano, even if it's just sitting there, and sometimes more if it's sitting there. Yeah, that's right. That that can be too. But it's usually the people who use them that want to keep them in reasonable shape. Mm. Now, piano companies, you had said that you're manufacturing here, but pianos are being manufactured everywhere, in, everywhere, everywhere now, and but not as much in the States as it used to be. Not at all, no. It's all moved towards the Orient. Uh, mm-hmm. China is now the largest piano market in the world, buying pianos, and also has the largest factories, these tremendous factories in China. And uh, Steinway's selling pianos into China. Uh, Used to be Japan, then Korea, now China, and to some extent Indonesia, they have manufacturing there. So it's a strange development. And in the America we have, uh, we're pretty much the last of the Mohicans. There are a couple of... (laughs) Other guys, but we're an American outfit. We're in New York. We have our, our factory and our way of doing things, and that's the way we are. And it's great because it's stayed. It's changed, but yeah. the quality 
has stayed. And it, for you, having it be a family business all these years and a family invention, yes. it has to be gratifying, as you said, to uh, have it in the hands of people that you feel good about. Absolutely. That's been a most fortunate in my old age because we sold it uh, when we, the piano, the ownership began to become sort of spread out. And so uh, we sold it back in 1972 to CBS, the broadcasting station, which was then loaded with money from television and wanted to expand. And we were with them for until Mr. Tish took over from, and he wanted to get rid of things. And then it went to a couple of men in uh, Boston, two brothers, nice fellows, who wanted a nice, quiet investment, but I think the two brothers didn't agree on how to run it in the future. And then we were fortunate to make this connection with uh, Kirkland and Messino. They made the connection. They bought the business, having already acquired the Selma band instrument business, and they put it together and made the Papa company named Steinway. It's listed on the New York Stock Exchange, and anybody can look it up, the figures and everything else. It's been public company, I guess, for five years or something mm -hmm. like that. But it's uh, been wonderful. These fellows uh, are the control stockholders and they seem to be interested in the business. They put money back in it, which is the, the test. Our factories are not exactly new and uh, they've been maintaining them. There's better light in them. At least I think so when I go there and it's cleaner and better maintained, put in new windows all over the place, which mm. hardly descends to the bottom line. It just makes more more value, and I like it because that means they're going to stay in New York and not move it to exactly. Mexico or someplace. And they bought this building. And they bought this building back. Yeah, I had sold it to finance some of the improvements in the factory, and now they bought the Steinway Hall building on 57th Street, and uh, I hope it, it, at the time, uh, Messina and Kirkland said, this is not a good move in financial circles because it's an old building. But we now have an empty lot next door and another one across the street, and somebody's building something up the street. So I think before they're as old as I am, they're going to find this has been a pretty good investment. Absolutely. And people should come by. I tell people all the time. That's right. They should come by and see this beautiful building, and it's fun to bring your kids because you have rooms with pianos. Right open yeah. and taken apart so they yeah. can see how pianos work, which is really fascinating, right. which I do when I teach elementary school. I'll go in and do oh, what would be assembly classes. Yeah. And uh, I take the front. Uh, it's very often on an upright, yes, which for my sure. purposes works in a small class because I take the piano apart yeah. so they can see how the hammers and I have them all come up and I press the keys. Mm, great, and great. it's fun for them because I've had... Yeah. Young kids ask me where the piano plugs in yeah, because yeah. they don't realize that Absolutely. it's acoustic, and we talk about that. Yeah. But your parents took you to classical, mainly yes. classical yes. concerts and yes. opera. Yes. Who would be singing when you were hearing this? They had, as so many people, had two tickets to the opera for Monday night. And when I first started working in 37 and 38, a uh, cousin of mine was staying with us, and mother and father didn't want to use the ticket, so I would go. And once in a while, we'd hear Lily Pons doing the bell song in Lock May and stuff like that. And in between the acts, we'd run to the bar, and by the time there you were know, five intermissions, we were in pretty good shape. <laughs> and it was very entertaining. Uh, 
but you didn't so, fall asleep, though, which is good. No, no. It, I, I found it interesting. I didn't understand what was going on, and because they're in French and Italian. But it, that old house, had a, the old opera house down mm. there on 34th Street, had mm. a certain ambiance that was wonderful. Thirty-seven recording of Lily Pons, one of the many people my guest Henry Z. Steinway heard in the late 1930s at the old Opera House on 34th Street in New York City. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. had to be smaller than the Met, uh, I'm assuming. No. Oh, I it was really I big. I think it had as many seats as that because it went up. They had these tiers of boxes, mm. and then way up there was a, a, a balcony. Mm-hmm. And so it held. I'm sure you could look it up. I don't know. And I think the same amount as what they have here. Oh, I didn't realize in that. Different, in a different setup. And it was built way back in 1883 oh. when... To give you just a bit of history, no, I like the history. Steinway of it. Hall and 14th Street was built in 1866 as a home for classical music and shows and performances of that kind, mm. but no opera. Down the street, where Con Edison is now, was the um, I forget the name, but but that's where opera went on, ah. uh, which had the lofting for scenery in which Steinway Hall didn't have. And then in 1883, the rich guys got together and built the Metropolitan Opera House, which was owned by the box holders who uh. were there to display their jewels. And there's a whole history there that's a, a mess. And then they went through trouble in the Depression and on and on. 
But this had the really special ambiance, as it you did, were saying. It did. For instance, one of the great piano moments was Joseph Hoffman's Jubilee in, I think, 1937, was his 50th anniversary on the stage. And he gave a concert in the old, I don't know why it was in the old opera, but uh, there it was. And it had all the contemporary bigwigs of the piano world in those days. And uh, my father and mother gave a small reception here at Steinway Hall afterwards for the in-group of Hoffman had a crowd of people that hung around him. He was then at the Curtis, and they were a wonderful, loony bunch. And <laughs> his, his wife was a, was a weird one, and uh, <laughs> it was a lot of fun.
Joseph Hoffman's 1925 Aeolian duo art reproducing player piano role of his composition Kaleidoscope. You know, it's so funny because people that don't know classical musicians have an image, because I get this all the time. People yeah. tell me this. They have this image of these very stiff, yeah. formal, yeah. Uh, all they do is practice. All they do is practice. <laughs> I mean, they do practice all the time. But there's another side yeah. that I swear with a yeah. lot of them that I know that when they're not practicing, that other, it's like a Jekyll and Hyde thing comes out. Yeah. And then yeah. they want to have fun yeah. and sure. they just... And then a lot of them had an uh, interest in... Rachmaninoff was fascinated by black music. He used mm -hmm. to go up to Harlem and hit uh, pianists up there. And uh, oh, I can't think of the name of that Viennese pianist who, who loved it and, and played in uh, Birdland and mm -hmm. some of those places. So that there's, you know, if you're interested in piano, you're interested in piano.
Tatum's recording of Humoresque. I've been told by a number of people that would be more, well, from a generation before my generation, yeah. that I'm frankly envious of the mix of the way they were brought up because I've had a number of people that, whether they were yeah. privileged or not privileged, yeah. They say that music was music, that they really felt like yeah. their family just said, oh, here's some great piano music, and it might be classical, it might yeah. be jazz, it might be romantic, right. it could be all kinds of things. But naturally, the, we would gravitate towards the piano stuff. Um, my family always had a box at, the, at Carnegie for the Philharmonic when they were there on a certain night, and we would go, and uh, uh, some... Other events of that kind, when they, you know, when Rubenstein first came back here in '36 and made a big sensation at Circin and all that sort of stuff, uh, it was a duty to go. I mean, after all, and I remember it with great delight, although I'm not all that musical. <laughs> oh, I don't believe that. You keep saying that. You've come to some of my concerts, and I see you bouncing around and enjoying yourself. Yeah, so you're yeah, plenty I musical. Mean, I, I'm not a true musician in the sense that you are. I, I can tell that. Well, there's really a difference between people who have released to that joy of what music can bring mm -hmm. them, and I see right. it, and I think that everyone can, yeah. I think, given the opportunity. Yeah. But, it's, but there are those of you who really study music well, and understand that. the structure uh, and appreciate in, in playing what people accomplish that I, I you know, mm -hmm, if you play, mm -hmm. you can see the other guy's technique is good or bad or what have you. Mm -hmm. uh, there are different standards that I'm uh, way beyond me is what I'm saying. Oh, I know. I think that it's, it's all about releasing to the music though, because I've yes. had intellectual discussions with people yeah. that about a concert and it'll go on and on back and forth. Another pianist yeah. and afterwards I say but did you have fun <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did you enjoy it and we'll realize that if we're analyzing it too much sometimes that the performance wasn't that good yeah it didn't sweep it didn't yeah. Yeah. sweep us away and there must be differences between performances how can you help it yeah absolutely I mean, absolutely not held to an arbitrary standard I always think you people who perform regularly, any dopey critic can uh, write in some newspaper, well, Judy Carmichael, she's lost her, uh, her something <laughs> or other, you know. Exactly. And, and just because they want to be against something. Mm -hmm. those, those things are terrible. Well, and it's your mood. One of the fascinating things I know from playing with a group yeah. is that there can be nights that I really think it went well. Yeah. And even think that my musicians played particularly well. Yeah. And afterwards... I'll say to my guitar player, that was just, that's as good as I've ever heard you play. And he'll go, really? I had a terrible night. <laughs> and so even within us, yeah. the people that supposedly yeah. know what we're doing, right. or all think I've played right. terribly, and they'll hear some completely new thing. Yeah. So a lot of it is not even just the perception Let's say I don't think I played well and they think I did. Yeah. Sometimes I think they just listen differently too because yeah. that's what it is. Maybe yeah. the audience keyed in at a different time. That's what makes it so special. Yeah, absolutely. Is that it, it can't be the same. And when you were saying that, that each of the pianos is different, I think that's fascinating. Yeah. It's all at a certain level, yeah. but they each have a personality. Yeah, they do. Which is fascinating. And it's this mystery of tone touch is, mm. is very, very hard to analyze whether whether it's the feel or the sound or the, just the combination of both. I know 
But uh, Rubenstein would say, "I can't play this piano. Give it to Horowitz." And, <laughs> and the other way, and the other way around, because the touches were, they were entirely different. Uh, attack to the piano. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I had someone say to me, because when you've seen me do this, when I play a concert. I play, yeah. and then I stand up and I lean yeah. on the front of the piano, right where the logo yeah. would be. I sort of yeah. lean back. And I had someone comment that it's like the piano is an old friend that yeah. I'm leaning on while I'm talking. And I said, well, you know, I feel that way. Yeah. And interestingly, speaking of approaching a piano, I have, over the years, especially in the early years when I wasn't playing pianos that were in as good a shape, because yeah. I was playing more clubs, I would sit down to play, and a piano might be really beat up, yeah. but it is a good piano in there. Yep. And it will really be yeah. like, I will think this consciously, baby, you know, to the piano, we're going to get through this evening That's together. Right, right. We're going to make it work, yeah. and I know you're in there, and I'm going to coax it out. And then there's other times that I've played pianos that were never good, yeah. that I say are just yeah. pre-firewood. <laughs> and I don't like them. Yeah. I don't feel like they like me. It's like yeah. a bad, blind yeah. date. <laughs> and I think, okay, we both know we don't like each yeah. other, yeah. but we're going to make the best of it. And it's funny, but it really is that way. Yeah. And I completely change the way I play it, because you have to. Yes, sure. To make it work. The way you can adjust to certain pianos is remarkable. Although, as age, again, Rubenstein, when he first started, he'd say, I can give me any piano, I can, I can do it. And as he got older, could you send that piano to my concert in Boston? <laughs> he got to have some favorite ones. There's two kinds of pianos, Steinways, that we haven't talked about because people ask me about them. There's Hamburg Steinways yes. and American Steinways, which are a little bit different. Yes. So talk a little bit about that. Well, the, to give you the background, the Hamburg factory was uh, started in 1880 to go back and try and get a piece of that market and to put together pianos that went to our London office, because in those days, you couldn't ship a piano to Australia. It had to go through London. I mean, they were the center of the world. And so Steinway started it as an assembly plant, and we sent all the parts over from here and, and put them together. And then gradually they became independent, got their own plates, and eventually keys and actions, and now it's a full-scale production factory which in many ways looks like and sounds like the one in Astoria, but the product does come out with certain differences, and some people prefer it. So that's about all I can explain about it. We're lucky that it survived the war. It's always been a direct branch of Steinway & Sons New York. Mm -hmm. So when the war started in '39, the German government seized it, just as we seized German-owned companies over here, and we had quite a time getting it back. It was mm. 46, I think, before we were able to get title to it again and start over again. And thanks to a remarkable faithful managers over there who worked for Steinway, 
it has built up and now it's, a, as you know, a viable branch with uh, connections all over the world. And they are the ones who are spearheading Steinway's uh, move into Asia. Mm. So uh, they are in charge of, uh, I think now we've got an office in Shanghai and Peking and God knows where. <laughs> Well, this has been so much fun. I really appreciate you giving me the time. And I have to say, because people ask me all the time about the Hamburgs and Steinways, American Steinways, and they'll say, what's your favorite Steinway? And I always say, Henry. <laughs> well, that's nice. <laughs> I always say, if you line up five New York grands and five Hamburg grands, and you go down there, you like some of each. Mm-hmm. You'll find one that you like that they're different between the two. Absolutely. It's all great. Thank you so much for doing this, Henry. It's well, been great fun you. to get you sitting down in one spot. Well, thank you for uh, your expert interviewing. <laughs> I hope it thank works you. out. Thank you so much. Right. You've been listening to Henry Ziegler Steinway. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidolf. The opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one from my CD, High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD, Trio. I'm on piano with Mike Hashem on sax and Chris Flory on guitar. For a schedule of upcoming programs, to sign up for our email newsletter, or to find out how you can personally support Jazz Inspired, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com. To find out more about what I'm doing in my music, visit judycarmichael.com. Special thanks to Tom Rickenback, Stephen Linda Plotnicki, and our webmaster, Megan Lewis. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and from Steinway & Sons, Newman's Own, and the American Hotel, Sag Harbor, New York. Visit online at theamericanhotel.com. Thanks, too, to Sag Harbor Florists. You can visit them at sagharborfloristandgifts.com. Thank you.